And uh, I'm not going to take a break because I got someone at the door right now. Oh, Jesus Christ. We got All right, so we're going to take a brief break right now. And when we come back, when we come back, we have Canadians coming into the room. Canadians coming in the room. You're listening to This American Podcast, Comedy Edition on ComedySchoolsRadio.com. I'm Tony Visick. We'll be right That was, um, if you don't know, and if you don't know, um, don't listen to the show. Uh, that was uh, one Charles Berry, also goes by the nickname Chuck, Chuck Berry. And uh, that song was actually made famous because uh, it was not one of his big hits. It wasn't like uh, Roll Over Beethoven or Johnny B. Good or any of that. That, that song was made famous. Do you know what movie made that particular song famous? I do not. Uh, I'll tell you what it was. It, uh, say it again because I didn't have your mic on. You do not. I do not. Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah, yeah, Pulp yeah. Pulp yeah. Fiction. Remember the, uh, the dance sequence? Right. Um, which was one of the coolest dance sequences, if, if you like uh, musicals, and I don't. But uh, as far as... Um, uh, uh, dance sequences go it's one of the most uh, cool and I saw uh, Quentin Tarantino explain the whole you remember the dance sequence yeah okay in the milkshake bar mm-hmm. okay and he uh, Quentin Tarantino said he'd seen a cartoon where a cat and a dog were dancing with one another oh yeah I yeah about this and yeah. that's what that was the direction that Uma Thurman was to dance like a cat and Travolta to dance like a dog right. and that's what made it such a, a fun little sequence and he picked an obscure Chuck Berry tune which we use here on the show but that's not why you tuned in Folks, that's not why you turned on your uh, uh, your uh, computer. That's not why you're laying hands on the radio right now. You tuned in to listen to and hear John Reinman, ladies and gentlemen. Am I saying your name right? You're saying my name perfect. Damn. Yeah. I'm known for really mispronouncing Just people's names horribly. No, you got it right. You got, got it right? First try. Yeah. Uh, and you are appearing um, tonight for two shows, Saturday for two shows, Sunday for one show. Is that correct? No, it's it's actually just uh, tonight for two and tomorrow for two. Friday, Friday and Saturday. Saturday. Friday and Saturday. So uh, you know what? That, you know what? It's sometimes when you uh, decrease the uh, supply, exactly. you increase the value. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's what I'm telling people. You're like More silver special. right now. You're going up. That's right. You're going up. You're Stocks like a silver coin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> That's what I, that's what you want to be compared to. You want to be it's like how was that a comedian you went and saw? Well, he was a, he reminded me a lot of a coin. That a coin, what, yeah, it was a gold exciting. coin? No, silver. Yeah, first we brought an old guy out with a metal detector. He found him, <laughs> and they put him on stage. Yeah. Have you ever used a metal detector? Uh, no, but uh, my my dad got one. I think as a guy, when you turn like fifty five, you're legally required to have a metal detector and go down to the beach and look around for quarters. Or even and, uh, out in the desert sand, perhaps, yeah, John. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I've, I've never used one. But uh, And then you, you find something, but it's never worth. Has it piqued your interest yet? Um, it honestly hasn't. You know why? Because I would just lose, I would lose it again. I'm a very forgetful guy. I would just be using my metal detector to find my keys. And then once I got them, I'd be like, all right, I win. Do you think you might be in a little bit of denial? You know what I would probably do? I'd probably misplace the metal detector. That's yeah, probably what yeah. I would do. I've done and that. And how do you how do you find that? I you see. Know? I've got the perfect excuse because we have grandchildren uh-huh. who are four and six, and one of them said they wanted a metal detector, and right away I said that's a great idea for the kids. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> there for, you go. For the kids, we're going to have a metal detector. Yeah. And uh, so we have one. But here's my question: mm-hmm. Have you seen someone use a metal detector for a brief moment, been fascinated, and then no, no. Kind of like if you were watching like a weightlifter and then went no no and turned your head away. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Well, it's it's uh, <laughs> the weightlifter or the metal detector. The, the 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 metal detector thing. It's the guys are always so prepared. They always go out and they have like all this gear. 
Yeah. They strap it on their arms. They, you know, it's like that you look like a Ghostbuster. Yes. Trying to find bottle caps, basically. (laughs) That's your that's your thing. So it's just like, how was your oh, it was real successful. It's like how much did the metal detector cost? Like, I don't has anyone ever made back the money from their metal detector? Is my question. Not not anyone we know. Yeah. uh, I I don't I don't think so. You know what it comes down to, don't you? By that point in life you go, Well, nothing I planned has worked. Yeah. So I'm down to this. (laughs) My investments went to shit. The job didn't pan out. Then nothing went though. The kids don't love me. The only way I'm going to get anything, the only way I'm going to have one more last hurrah in life Uh is if I find like an ancient Roman coin. Sure. Which are not as rare as people think, by the way. But even, yeah, yeah, even those would be kind of boring. They are. Like, you're basically, yeah, you're basically buying a thing to find objects you can pretend to pull from your grandkids' ears. Yes. That seems to be. Well, it's a very, it's a lot of effort that goes into a joke that doesn't quite pay off. It's not quite as good as Got Your Nose. And it's just, uh, but, uh, and you got to have the whole outfit. You got to have the white socks. You got to have the sandals. You got to have the whole thing. You got to be in uniform. I've never seen. The big glasses. Don't forget the big glasses. Giant sunglasses. They, Floppy they would, hat. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or like a, you know, a ball cap that's got some kind of, uh, you know, like a, it's five o'clock somewhere hat that you got at a Jimmy Buffett concert back in 1992 when you're only 60. And uh, yeah, I've never seen a young person doing it, but I know, I, I know, like I, I, I talk a lot of trash, but I'm, I, I'm sure whatever the version of the metal detector is, when I'm an old guy, I will t- definitely be doing because that's the kind of person I am. No, I think you're on the right track here because every once in a while, there's certain things that you hear that people do it's like winning the lottery everybody Mm -hmm. plays no one wins but they always say one guy won or someone uh they were digging through their attic and they found some painting that had been painted over and it's a picasso yeah so everybody digs through their attic or you know or digs through their junk there's always that belief that somewhere in your junk right and i don't mean junk in the in the you know in the genital fashion i mean your stuff yeah thanks you for clearing that yeah it's important yeah, By the way, let me ask you this. How old how'd your hernia check go? You'll never believe they found a Picasso down there. <laughs> Fantastic. How old are you? Uh, I am 33. You're 33. Okay. Yeah. When you refer uh, in, in slang parlance to your genitalia, do you call it your jewels or your junk? Uh, I call it my lost and found. Call it your actually. lost and found. Yeah. That's uh, No, I uh, I don't refer to it quite often. Yeah. I'm not, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm Catholic, so I wear a bathing suit in the shower. <laughs> So, I don't know. I don't even see it myself. I talked to a young person one time, and they said, Rob, you call it your jewels or your junk? You're in your 20s. Right, junk. Junk. See, now, I call mine, because I'm older, my jewels, which is the difference between my generation and Rob's, because, see, they don't value their shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they call you it junk. Understand. I call it jewels. Well, I'm a millennial, so I don't I don't call my junk anything. I text it. You text it. <laughs> you text there you your go. junk. Um, yeah, I had to do it. Um, yeah. No, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's I Like I said, we're very repressed, uh, you know. You were raised Catholic? Raised Catholic. All the way through Catholic school? I did not go to Catholic school. I went to Sunday school, though, which is kind of like... That's not Catholic. It's not Catholic school, but it's it's basically like a crash course every Sunday where uh, they try to cram a week's worth of guilt. So you went to public school? Went to public school, Raised Catholic? Raised Catholic. Did you sit there in your desk as a small child, just scared to death, thinking, all my friends are going to hell? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No. You know what the way I look at it is? Is... uh, it's a weird philosophy, but like when I was a kid and my family would go on vacations, we'd all take bets on what color the rental car was going to be. We'd get it, and 
whoever guessed the right color got to control the radio. It was my mom, my dad, my sister, and me. And uh, we'd all take guesses. One would say blue, red, whatever, and we'd get to the car, and one of us was right. So that's kind of my feeling. I know it's philosophical, but that's my feeling on the afterlife, that we all have theories about what it is what it is, or faith or whatever, and uh, at the end of the day, we're all the same thing. So You had uh, a very progressive family that they would let another member of the family besides the father control the radio I well mean, you know why it's because i've i've been an old man since i was about three years old so i listened to the same stuff they would listen to what so do you listen like vic damone no uh beach you don't boys. like vic beach boys ever since beach i was boys? three yeah they're okay. my favorite band i like the kinda, beach boys kind of got me into the oldies and stuff like that so are you a pet sounds guy or are you more uh they're very poppy stuff or uh i like pet sounds my favorite stuff is the uh the early surfing surfing in car stuff just like, because that's when i you know when you're a kid when you're a three-year-old kid and there's a, a band all these things about is cars and the beach and girls it's like you know when you're a young kid you're like oh this is fantastic you know so have you been to pasadena uh i've been to pasadena a little disappointing when you listen to the song isn't it yeah yeah it's a little bit there's yeah. a lot of uh, little old ladies there that's that's, that's true the, that's, that's true. the true thing that is because yeah. i have a friend who lives out there and uh it uh yeah he's almost gotten run over by a lot of them he's yeah. like so there's a little bit of truth to that song. A lot of money and power in Pasadena. People don't realize that. They think of Beverly Hills, Malibu. Right. They don't realize that the real the real nasty mean money in California sure. lives in Pasadena. Yeah. They yeah. picked Reagan. So uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you like the Beach Boys. Who else? Uh, well, you know, the Beatles. And then uh, my favorite band from the 90s uh, that I, I grew up with, Bare Naked Ladies. I love them a lot. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, that's, that's was that just because really of the name? Because it made you titter? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, well, uh, honestly, it was. Uh, I was a little bit scared away from it because I was like, oh, I don't know if I should be watching this. The first time they were on wow. Conan or whatever. Yeah. But uh, then, uh, no, I just like them. They're just, uh, they got the, the harmonies and everything. And I wish they were all still together. Now they're kind of split apart. But, so your parents would let you control the radio in a rental car. If I got the right color. If you got the right if color. I got the right color. And then you would choose some oldie station. Uh, yeah, or whatever I was into at the time. Would you, and how many uh, brothers and sisters did just you have? Just one sister. Did it drive her nuts? She would just put on her headphones. She didn't yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was her thing. But yeah. uh, no, and then I'd always trick her into some dumb color. I'd be like, say, you know, say orange. She'd be like, okay. She was younger than me. <laughs> She'd say orange. I'd be like, ah, you, you never got it right. I had the uh, uh, I had the uh, interesting experience of uh, everything that you do will come back to you not too long ago. Mm. Uh, I have a 26 year old daughter, and okay. um, uh, when she was little, she would be in the back of the car, and uh, she rode around with me everywhere. I lived in LA, so I was always in the car, and I was enamored of uh, the Grateful Dead and sure. Dwight Yoakam, and I played a lot of Dwight Yoakam. And she would she go, I hate this Dwight Yoakam, and uh, <laughs> but she had no control over it. And then recently, Easter weekend, we had flown to Los Angeles, but she was coming back with us here. And she was driving her car, and she chose the station. Uh-huh. And it was all, and it was just all, you know, and she goes, see, this is a really good song. This is a really good song. And I couldn't say anything because she's my daughter, and I love her, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, uh, mess up the trip. But it was just, it was pure hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just that. You know, when, yeah. when someone's playing a song that's, you can't stand to go, this is really good. Listen to the words. No, it's funny. Like, uh, I... It's you never. It's hard to guess people's musical tastes. Like so, I've been married to my wife now for four and a half years. We've known each other for almost seven years, and I I, I work at the Fallon Show. I write for the Fallon Show, and uh, she came in. When we were first dating. We've been dating about I don't know five months, and uh, I brought her into a taping, and uh, 
you know, I, we actually met at a Beach Boys concert. My wife. And really? I, yeah. That much? Yeah. That, it's so, that, you're that deep in the that deep in the paint, are we? Yeah. Wow. So we met, and I always knew her for you know liking that kind of stuff. And then uh, we went to a taping, and Snoop Dogg was on, and he came out and he played in the warm up uh, with the Roots. And I look over to my then girlfriend, and she knew every word of every Snoop Dogg sound. I was like. What? And she's like, oh, yeah, I listen to normal people music. I'm not <laughs> I'm not necessarily like I, li- I appreciate your old man taste, but I, I keep up with. So she's the one that uh, whenever, you know, there's a, a story about a song, I have to go to her. But like, oh, who does this song? She'll be like, oh, that's uh, Calvin Harris. Lovable like, old Snoop, oh, yeah. huh? <laughs> yeah. But uh, but she knew she knows all this. I'm an old man. I'm stuck in the you know, I got to like, you know, I, I think I liked a lot of alternative and rock in the 90s. Uh, and then I just kind of stopped. Yeah. So I, don't, I don't know what anything That happens. Out. I think that yeah. happens to people. Uh, yeah. You know what comes right after that, don't you? Metal detectors. Yeah. yeah. There you go. So you write for uh, The Tonight Show. That's correct. Do you, do you call it The Tonight Show or The Fallon Show? Uh, well, I call it, uh, to me, it's, uh, I guess, The Tonight Show, but I've been there since it was late night. So to me, it's the same thing. It's, you know, yeah. it's Jimmy. So it's uh, he's it's his whole thing. So I just think of it as, uh, you know, Jimmy's thing. So uh, what do you prefer? Do you prefer, like, uh, this weekend you're doing stand-up, mm-hmm. okay, but you are a writer, and uh, oftentimes there's a, um, uh, people don't understand there is a little bit of a divide bef- between someone who is intrinsically drawn to being a performer and intrinsically drawn to being a writer. Is there one that you prefer, or do you find enjoy them both equally? Well, nothing's better than a good stand-up show. Like, yeah. if, you, if you go on stage and you make a lot of people laugh and you come off, there's, there's nothing better than that, you know? It's yeah. like... Um, it, it's it all here's an analogy i would say that like um writing is like eating healthy and then i would say that uh stand-up is like running a race so you know it, it might be easier to eat healthy but if you finish that race you feel like you really did something you feel really good inside do you yeah. find a, a a distinct pleasure and i'll preface it a long time ago because you see we are we, we you are like almost a descendant of uh, a long time ago I used to uh, send in and got a lot of jokes on when Jay Leno was the guest host of The Tonight Show. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, so this is back in, you know, this is like, this is now on the History Channel. He was the, when he was the guest well, host. Well, you know, that's how I started too. And he was the full-time yeah. uh, host. I was a faxer for him. So I would, and uh, we had a mutual friend. And so I had to send some jokes in and, and get some stuff on his show. So so then you had the same, I would, I'd be sitting in a bar someplace in mm-hmm. like Duluth or Iowa or even yep. Los Angeles where I'd just done a stand-up show in front of 25 or 100 people. And then The Tonight Show would be on and I'd see Jay Leno do a joke I had written. And I wrote for a lot of guys that were always doing stuff on those shows. And I found like a really this incredible pleasure from going. Mm-hmm. No one. I'm sitting at the bar. Someone's going. You want another one, Mac? Are you gonna sit here all night? And at the same time, I'm going. That's my joke. Yeah. I mean, do, do, you, do you? Which do you find a lot of pleasure in that? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, it's weird. The longer you you're there, uh, you go from having the thrill of having someone tell your joke to then it be it's your responsibility. So like when I was a uh, you know sending stuff into Jay, it was a thrill. The first time I got. You heard him tell my jokes on TV, and they did really well too. And I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" Like you can you can never recreate that feeling. Um, and I think with uh, Jimmy, it's like it's different. You're not just a part time guy. You're they're counting on you. They want yeah. you to get stuff on. So it's less it's less of a I would say thrill and more of a like satisfaction. It's like okay, that one worked. I, you know, I got that one, and, and you feel good about it. And every day we have a rehearsal. Uh, before we tape the show, where he kind of runs through everything, 
And uh, so if you're in New York and you know you can't get tickets to the show, that's another alternative. You just kind of go to the store there at NBC. They'll tell you where to go and what time to be there, and uh, you can come up and watch him rehearse that monologue that night and see what he wants to go through. And uh, that's well, you see the, some of the performers, like you said, Snoop Dogg was rehearsing. Well, with. no, that was no, no for for the so you're five minutes in and out. You sit down, watch five minutes, and leave. No, you're you're it's you're, it's probably about a fifteen or twenty minute thing, and okay. you'll see Jimmy, and you might see the you'll probably see the Roots, and uh, Higgins might be there, and. Uh, He'll uh, he'll kind of go through everything, and that's the first time you hear your joke in front of an audience. And uh-huh. so that's for me, the the because you're in the studio, you're in the room. Like we go down there for that to hear how everything plays in the studio. So uh, when you hear your joke for the first time, get told that day and get a big laugh. Uh, that's the exciting thing. And then just for the show, you hope it you know it repeats itself. Um, but uh, you know it's cool. He's he's the best at it. He's the best in the biz. You know. So it's like every every time. Uh, you know, every day I write at that show, you know, I think to myself, like, you know, if I have kids someday, I mean, Jimmy's going to be their Johnny Carson. You know, he's going to be their guy that he's going to have this show for years and years, and he's already super famous, but he's going to be, you know, and eventually he's yeah. pr- going to be like a legend. And I'll be able to tell my kids, like, yeah, I wrote for that guy. You know, I, I knew that guy. And um, so that's kind of what I always think about is that to put it in perspective that. To us, you know, it's Jimmy, and he's our nice boss, and we like him, and he's a funny guy. But you're like, long term, this guy's going to be real, real up there, and it's real cool to get to be a part of it. You don't strike me as the type of man that will answer this question because uh, you strike me as a, a decent guy and also a diplomatic fellow. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Sure. All right, because um, uh, there was um, some people detected a rift, a certain amount of unhappiness between Jay Leno and Jimmy Fallon with the passing of the guard. Oh, that's not true at all. That's not true at all? No, Jay was 100% supportive. Uh, I mean, I guess I can't speak to what went on with Jay and Conan. I mean, obviously that was a bigger deal. Yeah. But, uh, no, Jay was could not have been more gracious. Uh, he was very helpful to Jimmy. He really pumped up our show. Uh, he's been on uh, three or four times. He's come on and done yeah. cameos okay. and stuff and has been great and super friendly. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where I think people at first were a little bit nervous when he was coming in. He was like, oh, the old guy. But he was nice to everybody. And I think he just really appreciates Jimmy because Jimmy's a stand-up. You know, Jimmy yeah. started that way. And I think there's there's that bond. And I can speak to that, too. Like, whenever I uh, – I just naturally get along with stand-ups more. Uh-huh. Like, whenever I – if I meet a right, it's tough because, you know, now the, the, the way comedy is, you'll meet people that got into the business because they were – funny on twitter you know they had something like that and i'm always just kind of like whatever when i meet someone who does stand up there you feel that immediate bond immediate yeah it's like a dog seeing another dog in a car (laughs) like oh my god there's another one you know you just want to talk and tell stories so i think there's a little bit no he was great he's totally great and um you know it was touching to see him go and the way he passed the torch was cool and uh and you know it was it was great you couldn't have asked for a better uh transition all right so now let me ask you this uh, uh there's there's a, a plethora of late night shows on mm-hmm. okay is there a rivalry anyway is it is it like is it like sometime with comics going oh what's he doing what's he doing oh yeah but i mean i don't think it's like it's not like it was like when i was a kid when i was growing up you had leno versus letterman and that was epic i mean that was a giant rivalry see and, i grew uh, up with mike douglas versus merv griffin which sure. was violent it was violent yeah yeah and and so but i mean these guys you know hated each other they would they would joke about each other in the monologue and they were old you know they would, had been friends and i guess they weren't close friends and um so that was different that was a different dynamic and also i think the 90s was different too in that uh the news cycle had gotten kind of soft you know like there wasn't a lot there there hadn't been a 9-11 yet there hadn't been the cable news stuff that we see now so i think people liked that antagonistic thing sure. at late night whereas i think now 
um, news being a lot darker and the world being a trickier place, uh, people are happier to have it be just a more fun, relaxed atmosphere at night and to have more fun. And yeah. with that in mind, that I makes think, sense. Yeah. and I think that, uh, so there might be a rivalry. There is, but it's, it's more like a, like it would be at a stand-up show. It's like, if you see your buddy go up and do a really good new bit, it inspires you to write. You're like, Oh, that's new yeah. stuff. I gotta, I gotta write some stuff. And I, so I think it's, that's kind of how it is. There's really that I know of, at least in our end, uh, there's no like show that we're like, Oh, those guys, if anything, it's like, Oh, that's pretty good. You know, like, but Jimmy's so good that it's it's tough to tell just because he's always so far ahead of everything. And yeah. just, you know, he's always pushing and trying new stuff. So, um, you know, and then on my end, it's just I'm just a monologue writer, you know. So I just write the, you know, the, the stuff, the new stuff. And so my job kind of stays the same, you know, from from day to day where it's always just you got to have um, – you got to deliver. You got to make fun of what's going on, and and he's. Do you uh, let, let me ask you? I want to. Uh, do you have a? Uh, <coughs> there was a. Um, there's a lot of comics that listen to the show. There's there's a huge uh, local uh, uh, comedy population in Phoenix, mm-hmm. uh, and a, a lot of them listen to the show. We have writers. We had uh, Kevin Rooney who wrote for Dennis Miller for a long time, and Damon Wayans was a brilliant guy. Jeff Abagov, who uh, was uh, a supervising producer for Roseanne and exec on Grace Under Fire, just wrote a novel. So a lot of them listen. Because they want to hear what you guys who are at that level and you're at that level. And, and what I like about it, you went, I'm just a monologue writer. Because I have met monologue writers who go, perhaps you don't know who I am. Oh, yeah. I write the monologues. <laughs> so, no. you know, they, they, you have, you have a, a, a certain humility about it. It's probably why you're so darn talented. Um, there, I heard a guy who used to write for Leno to say he would get up and write 100 jokes a day. He had it in a numerical category. He so would write it, or Jay would write it. He would write a hundred oh, yeah. a day, okay. so that when he produced, what he and his idea was, if he had a hundred, he'd get at least one or two on. Yeah, yeah, it's similar. Yeah. I mean, we don't. There was a stretch where, um, you know, the way things were, um, we had a, a lot of turnover back in about 2012, uh, where a bunch of writers, uh, you know, they moved on to do other things. Two guys got a sitcom deal. Another guy went to write for uh, Mindy Kaling's show, and um, and it was all kind of at once. How'd that work out? Uh, well, he, he's had a good career. I mean, yeah. all those guys, like, that's the amazing thing with the show is that, like, you know, when I first got there, it was Anthony Jeselnik, Morgan Murphy, uh, Bashir Salahuddin, all these guys who were just just big, you know, comedy men. They all went on and did great things. It was real intimidating going there. But we had this time around 2012 where there was a lot of turnover. And uh, while they were essentially replacing, uh, you know, some of those writers, I was having to write, like, 100 jokes a day. And to write almost, you know, the whole monologue. And it's fun, but it, it burns you out. And it, at, at a certain point, it kind of bums you out because, you know, uh, when you don't have another writer there to push you that you really admire, like there's this guy, uh, Jeremy Bronson, who was there for, I think, about three years with me. Uh, and he's the guy that went to Mindy, but um, he was such a good writer that it was like, you know, every time I felt like being like, I've done enough, I'd think, no, he's probably writing some more he's probably figuring out some more and i would go back and do it um now it's a little bit different just because now we have that in most of the comedies in that entire first act like we might do one desk bit uh like pros and cons or something like that at the desk but um you know or thank you notes but for the most part any sketch topical stuff anything like that happens in that first act so i think nowadays i'd say i'm writing probably i don't know a total of maybe 40 jokes a day um, but you don't sit but, down and go. I'm going to write 40 jokes. No, you kind of so, do. So you how, have, do you, how do you? Yeah, how do you enter into it? So you, you well, you have a certain number of jokes due uh, at night, the night before the next day's show, 
and then you have a certain number of jokes due the next morning. And then you have some other asks. So they might say, uh, you know, we might have a, a piece we need jokes on. Like we, last, last week, it was like new TSA rules. And so we all had to pitch in a couple ideas for that. And then, uh, you know, you might have some openers. Like there might be a guest on the show. Like, you know, um, you know, like uh, there might be like a politician or some, you know, big actor. Or like, you know, the, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's on the show. And you might want to have an act, a joke about what he's doing there and stuff. Uh, so it, it kind of adds up. But... Um, yeah, so it is sort of a numeric thing, but uh, but you're being assigned things as well, right? Yeah, like but it's I think almost like a sitcom where you're gonna be writing the B story. Yeah, you know, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I've never I've never worked at a sitcom, but yeah. I mean, yeah. It's but you know what I'm talking. You know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. So they, and they, so you uh, get to write all this stuff, and then it's all put together by the yeah. exec. Yeah. And so I used to when I first got there, I would you know it was fear based sort of because I wanted to keep the job and I yeah. you know I needed the money, and then it became sort of a competition thing where then I was I did become that guy that was like I want to get the most jokes and you know and, and write the most and the problem with that is your quality control goes down you're just going for quantity and you're trying to write the most stuff and hope it sticks whereas now I think my approach is if I sit down and I see a premise instead of you know writing just as much as I can on it I might look at it for a couple of minutes and be like what are two angles I think of this and how can I nail that so let, let me ask you this. So <coughs> when you talk about a premise, so do you sit down and scan a bunch of information, however it is, you know, and then wait for something to strike you? Or will you pick anything and go, I'm going to write a joke about that? You understand what I mean? Yeah. When I first looked down, like we have a, a writer's assistant who kind of sums up the news and she'll kind of send us some links to stuff. And um, so I'm partly in charge of that where I kind of go through and kind of like 80 miles ahead writer he picks most of the jokes and sometimes i'll help out uh and then i'm kind of going through the news with our assistant to find stuff to talk about basically uh because you know for a while i was kind of doing everything like i was writing and picking jokes but that's impossible like that's you know because basically you're you're like an umpire that's also the catcher you know what i mean yeah. like you can't play the game and also tell people what of theirs is funny and not and then it, you go, you get to a certain point where you're not picking any of your own stuff because you feel guilty. You're like, oh, if I pick my stuff, it's going to look like self-nepotism. Yeah, you know? it's that's Catholicism. So, yeah, so finally, <laughs> so it's worked out different now. But uh, So I'll help out every now and then when there's that. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of look at it, and um, I try to go topical first. I try to say, like, what's a political story I can write on? And that's kind of like your meat and potatoes. You kind of get yeah. that out of your way. And then, uh, then there might be fun stories, you know, like uh, there was a guy, like at a zoo in Spain somewhere, that they, they did a drill for a gorilla escaping the cage. And for some reason, he dressed up as a gorilla. And someone didn't get the memo that they were doing a drill. So as you're expecting, he gets shot in the butt with a, a tranquilizer dart. And, maybe he you know, was going for that, though. Maybe. <laughs> but that's what you really want to write on. So it's like you try to get the newsy stuff that you need yeah. in there first, and then I go down to the more fun kind of silly stories. And, okay. and I, I like personally, I like those more. No one ever agrees with me, but um, if you watch Johnny Carson, like he's uh, Carson, they have a Carson page on uh, Facebook, and they're always putting out clips and stuff. And the monologue bits from his show that always they put on and they last are the stories that are just very evergreen, very you know, everyday life sort of thing. So, yeah, it's good to do. Maybe because they have more to do with human nature. Yeah, that, that, yeah, it's still Let's fun. do this. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, you, you do a lot of political stuff, but we can hold you for just a few more minutes. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk, maybe if, if you uh, will, we'll talk all things uh, Trump, Sanders, and Tubman when we come back after <laughs> a brief break 
You're listening to This American cool. Podcast, Comedy Edition on ComedySchoolsRadio.com. We're talking with John Reinman, who is appearing at Rick Bronson's House of Comedy, HouseofComedy.net. He is there tonight, Friday for two shows, and Saturday for two shows. We'll be right back. <laughs> 